Unless someone tells you their gender, you literally have no way of telling. One of the worst parts is I was just really excited to get to date another lesbian. I want to stab all of you to death as many times as I can. Hey guys, I'm Brad Palumbo and welcome back to the Damage Control Podcast, where I tackle the controversial discussions of the day on all things related to LGBT issues and try to reclaim this community from the insane leftists who've taken it over, and from the far-right extremists who are bringing about some serious backlash. My guest today is gay journalist Billy Binion, and we talk about his experiences with the left-wing LGBT community and how he sees the state of affairs on the right these days. Then, as always, I react to some unhinged LGBT TikToks. If you're new here, consider subscribing, liking, commenting, letting me know your thoughts on this episode, and with that, Let's get into it. Billy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So I followed your work for a long time. You cover criminal justice. You're a writer at Reason. You do, uh, you write about all sorts of things. But once in a while, uh, you dip your toe into <laughs> the cesspool that is the national conversation over LGBT issues. Have you always done that since you've been a journalist? Or is that something you've more recently started to dip into? Hmm. Well, it's kind of just touch and go. It has to be something that, like, really an, uh, a story that I find particularly interesting. Because, like you said, it's not really on my beat. I write about a lot of legal issues, government accountability, criminal justice type stuff. So it doesn't often intersect with the culture war. But every once in a while, there's a there's a culture war story that uh, pertains to LGBT issues where I'm like, okay, I have to I have something to say about this. Yeah, so folks will remember if they're loyal listeners, and if you're not a loyal listener, then you're you're fake. Um, but <laughs> that a few weeks ago, I cited your story about Matthew Shepard. So for folks that weren't tuning in, um, basically Biden un uh, honored the anniversary of the death of Matthew Shepard, who at the time, decades ago, was considered to be killed in an anti-gay hate crime. But there's been a book and a lot of investigative research that's cast doubt on that narrative. And you wrote about how it was probably not actually an anti-gay hate crime. I'm curious, why why wade into a story like that? And also, what kind of reception do you get when you poke the bear on something like that? So it's interesting, the actual like the the common thread between a lot of the LGBT stories I've covered, which isn't that many, but I would say out of all the ones I have covered, um, the commonality is pushing back on what I would call historical revisionism. So uh, a tendency for people to kind of rewrite history when they wanted to suit a particular narrative. Uh, I would say the Matthew Shepard case is a pretty glaring example of that. And I think the reason why I care about um, covering those issues is because I'm, I'm a little older than you, but I grew up, uh, the Matthew Shepard case, for example, it happened, I think, in 98. Um, so when I uh, went into high school and college, it was kind of like the case that was cited um, and among LGBT people for this sort of uh, narrative that like we could, you could be next. You know what I mean? Like it is it is violent and scary to be gay. And I am not an idiot. I don't think that homophobia is like eradicated. And a lot of people like to remind me about that when I push back on some of these narratives. But I'm not saying that. I, obviously, homophobia exists. Racism exists. And it will exist for as long as humans exist because humans are not perfect and um, discrimination is still a thing for sure. But I think no matter how noble your narrative is, it needs to be based in reality and that you actually really undermine your movement when you have to rewrite history um, to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. 
So, I mean, I think the the big picture thing is I, I look back on those times in high school and college where people were talking about Matthew Shepard and were saying like, oh my gosh, you should be really afraid. Gay people have a reason to be afraid. And like I said, homophobia is real, but that crime brutal and awful as it was was not about his identity and i i don't think we should be using it to fear monger among young gay people that you know they have that they need to be like looking over their shoulder yeah well and also even if it was things have changed in many ways right. largely for the right. better um but i i guess what i'm curious about is you are uh on the the libertarian side of the political spectrum right you work at reason magazine a libertarian news website um what has your experience been? Because you still live in D.C., right? I actually live in Texas. Oh, but did you live in D.C.? I did. Okay, all right. So I lived in D.C. And I was, let's say, not so popular in the, the okay. D.C. gay community, which is probably the most hyper-politicized of all like urban uh, gay communities because it is so many of them work in politics. So I had a really hard time. I've talked about this before. And I was a little bit more of a bomb thrower uh, than you for sure. Uh, on these issues, especially a couple of years ago before I chilled out a little bit. But um, what has your experience been like? Like, has it been hard uh, when I, w I don't know when you were dating or if you're dating now, like uh, or at least when you were in D.C., especially did you encounter people who realized you weren't a liberal, you weren't progressive? And was that ever an issue for you? Yeah, it's funny. I still have this like very vivid memory of this. I kind of what uh, encapsulates dating in D.C., for me, I went on a date with someone and we met at a coffee shop. You know, I got some tea and then we just hit the ground running with him having like read a bunch of my articles and like like uh, citing actual like lines I wrote and um, just basically came on the day looking for a fight. And like if anyone wants to know what dating into the sea is like, I mean, obviously that's not not everyone is going to do that. But like you said, it is this hyper political place where like I wasn't even surprised he did that I was just like okay that's not why I came on this I mean like you and I know working in political media we argue for a living so like that's not what I was looking to do um and definitely did not uh follow up for a second date but um I mean yeah there are people I remember there was another time I was in a bar a gay bar where someone's like oh like you work for that really conservative magazine it's like actually it's not you don't know what you're talking about but like I mean I guess in in the DC Overton window libertarian probably qualifies as like far right, right in people's right, storm. which isn't true, but it's just a different people are operating with a different frame of mind there. Yeah, they definitely are. And it's interesting because, um, you know, reason was like pro gay rights decades before Democrats right. were, but none of that really matters because reason is quoted as center right for right. Like, whether you would describe it as that or not, it's how it's perceived. Um, right. It's kind of like in that Time Magazine profile um, where they were looking, they mentioned the Cato Institute and they like made some swipe at them for being anti-drug liberalization and gay marriage. And I was like, are you joking? I mean, yeah, did you not they're... like Google this before you published it? Progressives have a very hard time um, parsing the distinctions on the right, seeing the shades of gray on the right, like the, like the spectrum. They kind of, I mean, for example, I haven't called myself a conservative in many years. I think I did when I kind of dipped my toe into politics, I was like, oh, I'm because where I lived in Massachusetts, basically anybody who wasn't liberal was considered conservative. Right. And so as I kind of came to understand more what, what that label entailed, I was never socially conservative. So I don't, I, I haven't used that label in many, many years. People will still constantly describe me as conservative. 
Um, I will never describe myself as that, but people will constantly say, oh, he's a gay conservative. I would never describe myself like that, but they do, at least not anymore, um, but they do. And it's simply because that's kind of come to mean not liberal, basically. And and so uh, it, within the very pockets of progressive spaces, at least. So I found an incredibly hostile uh, re re reception among the DC gay community. I mean, I actually, I joined when I moved there, I was, I was su such a naive little, little kid. Sure. I was like, I want to make friends with other gay people and maybe I'll meet people and maybe that's how I'll date. Cause I don't, I never really liked the apps, even though I actually ended right. up meeting my uh, now long-term boyfriend on one of the apps, but, right. um, Oh, good for you. Yeah. So uh, modern love. I know. Right. Uh, but so it was like one out of a thousand terrible dates that emerged from those though. So, um, so I was essentially like excommunicated from this gay men's soccer club uh, because I had written uh, in the examiner where I worked at the time that I was not on board with uh, kids medically transitioning, right? Especially taking puberty blockers and the hormone replacement therapy and going down that pipeline before I think the, the age of consent is I've where I've always felt comfortable. Right. It's like if you're 16 or 17 and you own your body fully under the law, you should be able to do whatever you want. So I've always kind right. of had a moderate stance on trans issues. It's funny. I get attacked as transphobic from the left and like woke pro-trans from the right. right all the time. Right. But so I was excommunicated from this team because they said that my presence on the team made hypothetical future transgender members of the club. There were none. Feel unsafe. Like, like feel, feel unsafe. Physically unsafe. Yeah. And I'm like, did they like, were they like Googling your portfolio or like, how did this come about? I think a few members of the club were uh, DC gays. I think one of them even Got worked it. for Medium Matters. And so as soon as that happened, I was like, all right, this was never, this was never meant to last. <laughs> right, 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 right. Have you had anything that rivals that back in your time in DC or in journalism, right? Because when people hear you're a gay journalist, I don't know about you, but they assume you're a lib, right? They assume, they assume you're a hardcore lib. Well, I think one of the other things, so apart from the gay thing, I write about a topic that resonates, I think, more with left-leaning people. So when people find that I have, like, I guess, certain conservative um, proclivities, that I mean, people just kind of use it to dismiss you, which I think is a mistake because it implies that everyone thinks in a very binary black and white way. And I just don't think the world works like that. I think a lot of online internet personalities work like that. But I think... You know, if you like the average person who might not be super online, especially today, I think is probably more open to being like, okay, like you can have, you can think multiple different things at one time. Um, but that doesn't have a lot of currency on something like Twitter where you just have to be, where you're supposed to just kind of be as extreme as possible, you know? Yeah. Twitter is like a drug I can't quit, honestly. I, but I think it's such a toxic and shitty place. I also think of all the, the places like, Twitter, Brad, is probably the least appealing version of me that's present anywhere <laughs> online. Like, and, and I think that's probably true for everyone. Like if I, for example, a good example is if I'm meeting somebody like, and, or, or when I was meeting my boyfriend's parents or something and they, he told them what I did and they wanted to like see some of it or whatever, the worst thing I could hear was, oh, they're going to look at your Twitter I'm like, if I heard like, oh, they read your articles or, oh, they watch your videos on YouTube or something. I'm like, all right. I feel like that gives a good account of me. But like Twitter, it is it, just something it brings out the worst. It condenses you. It makes right. like um, gives you this this incentive to just 
nutpick people, to dunk on people for clout, to be devoid of nuance. And so I, I've really liked uh, different formats. And so I use, I find myself using Twitter less and less, but also it's, I'm torn on it because I met so many interesting people over the years, like you from, I think first from right. Twitter. Yeah. That actually is one of the things that I find to be like the great tragedy of kind of Twitter losing relevance. I mean, people can debate how they feel about Elon Musk. I'm not, I'm not commenting on that. I'm more so just saying like, obviously a lot of people have quit because they do feel a certain type of way about him. And I feel sad about it for that exact thing that you just said, because Twitter has always been toxic, but like it is the one social media platform that I felt like you could do, like cultivate an actual community. Like, you know, I, I don't use Facebook anymore. Instagram is really just for people who I already know. Um, I'm a little more private on there. And then, I mean, I've done a little bit on TikTok, the reason, but it, that's not a place where you cultivate a community either. Whereas like Twitter, I've met some super interesting people across the political spectrum. I used to find really good story ideas there. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. But to your point about um, people finding it, I don't give up my last name when I'm dating until like we're at like the third or fourth date. And it's for that exact reason, because I don't want people to find me. And so I have a question, like, do you put that you're a libertarian in your dating bios or anything? No. Okay. But so I am not, if someone were to ask me where I, I work, I'm not going to like be embarrassed or like beat around the bush because that's so, part of who I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I went back and forth on this, like for a while, for a while I would take it out and then it would be an issue after like a first or second date. And right. then, so I started just put leading with it, which probably scared some people off who might've been <laughs> okay with it. If it was like slowly a toe dip into water, but Right. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's merits to either approach, but I also don't really, I wouldn't really want to date somebody who would hear that somebody works at a right leaning place or has, is a, has different political views and instantly want nothing to do with them. Like clearly we're probably not going to work out if that's the case for you. But also some people are just apolitical and right. don't, and, and are kind of put off by anybody having really strong political views. So right. that's an interesting uh thread thread to draw on on the gay community i it's, it's interesting to me because the gay community is not politically monolithic but uh, it feels that way sometimes to me yeah i mean i think that's certainly true and i have had people who have found me on the internet before um we've even met and then who like block me or whatever and it's like okay i mean but like you said if that's how you react to someone who just has like a because like neither one of us are culturally all that conservative we're both like i mean at least not by the definition you know just a few years few decades ago i mean we a few decades ago you and i would have probably been considered like socially flamingly liberal you know right. so it's just like the overton window moves so quickly and if i'm too extreme for you then like okay <laughs> bye you know like that's like to me a level of close mind and it's just kind of silly do you follow the lgbt media at all because i I don't know. Like I, I subscribe to a few of the trashy LGBT websites, <laughs> the queer T, the LGBTQ nation, the, the advocate. And that used to apparently be an important thing, like gay media. And it is completely irrelevant now. And what they do right. publish is so like hyper partisan, toxic and, and low brow. I think I, I, I wish there were more platforms for example, like, actual debates or interesting conversations focused on gay or lgbt issues but i really don't think they are there are i think there's a hard left silo and then 
there's like a little pocket of gay Republicans or people who are in their own little silo over here. And there's not a lot of actual thoughtful exchange between the two, at least in my experience. Yeah, whenever I see one of the like gay media things pop up, honestly, the it's usually for like, we are highlighting how this person has problematic views about gay people or something like that. Like someone, someone said something and we need, we all need to know that we can never engage with this person again. Um, I know that's not all they do, but that's the kind of stuff I see. And I would agree. It's like, it's not doing anything useful. I mean, so what are some things with the state of the LGBT movement where as somebody with not all hard left views, right? Where you find yourself feeling adrift or not on in lockstep with them. I mean, I will say this when the, um, do you remember almost a year ago now, which is insane. I feel like ever since COVID time, like doesn't make sense to me, but, um, it was last February that the New York times had like, you know, several hundred writers come out in response, uh, condemning their coverage of transgender people. Yes. Yes. Of their debate or their coverage of the, the trans medical issues. Right. Which is funny. And one, it had only been like a little bit skeptical of the medicine. They were still very pro-trans. They just had included a little bit of criticism or skepticism and they freaked out. Well, well, the, one of the main subjects of their ire was this very well reported magazine piece by a woman named Emily Bazelon. Yes. Um, who, I mean, if you know her reporting is certainly no right leaning person. She writes a lot about abortion. Um, and she wrote this very fair, like 11,000 some word piece about the disagreements and the fractures in the medical community about how to help uh, people transition, what the code of conduct should be. And many of the doctors she interviewed are transgender themselves. And so I was like 980 contributors and staffers who came out and was like, we reject Emily Bazelon's reporting, I guess, because she like said there was room for nuance. And like, that's when you just totally lost me. Um, and I wrote a couple of things about it in defense of her and people who are doing reporting like her because like the entire point of this industry especially at a place like the new york times which is supposed to be like the gold standard and they do a lot of amazing work um but the entire point of this industry is to like interrogate the gray areas you know but it it just seems like really ridiculous to say like in journalism you're no longer allowed to ask questions that's the entire point you know so I mean, to me, if that intellectual curiosity is dead, I just, I mean, I think that's very dark. I also find a lot of it kind of hysterical in the sense, in the actual, not in the funny sense of the word, but in the actual hysteria sense. Like it's panic induced. Yes, yes, exactly. And so, for example, when they say like the New York Times coverage puts trans lives in danger is the kind of mantra you'll hear repeated over and over again even though they never bother to explain how that's actually remotely true. Um, but the other thing is like the human rights campaign declaring a first of its kind national state of emergency for LGBT rights in the year of our Lord 2023. It's like when they're just so worked up all the time and they seem so disconnected from reality, I often feel like I'm living and existing in a different universe than the alphabet people. Well, and I I think that actually is a great way to describe why I do think it's important to push back on like those Matthew Shepard-esque stories because they are used to further this narrative that like you and I are living in a time that's really hostile. And actually, I mean, if there were a great time to be born 
you know, being a part of this community would be now. I mean, it's never been better better to be gay than it is now. I'm like I and like I said, I'm not saying that means discrimination doesn't exist. It will always exist, but it is detached from reality to say that, you know, it's really hard to be us right now because that's just not true. I mean, you're absolutely right. There is you could argue a little bit that maybe things have have backslid a bit in the last couple of years. But if sure. you were going to pick a year to exist as a gay person in America, right. you'd pick 2019 or 2018 right. or 2020 or or maybe 2023. You wouldn't pick any other time, right? Like even 50 even 50 years ago, like it's been rapid change for the better. And so when places like the Human Rights Campaign say that, I mean they obviously have a vested interest in making people feel unsafe, which is perverse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what we we kind of punch in both directions on this show. So I'm often talking about kind of the woke left, right? And the I call them the alphabet people, basically the crazy okay. part of the the LGBT community, um, because it's not all trans people, it's not all right. gay people, it's not all bisexual people, lesbian people. It's not even. Uh, but the, the, there's that segment of them, the kind that find themselves on libs of TikTok, of repeat repeat <laughs> offenders. Right. right. <laughs> um, but I also have witnessed what I think is kind of a backsliding on the right in, in that when I was coming to and I, I'm a few years younger than you. So I'm curious if, if you resonate with this as well. But like when I started working in conservative media after graduating college in 2018, 2019, I basically never encountered discomfort with my sexuality in, in like among peers or never really heard people be homophobic. It's like gay rights was never brought up. It like wasn't a hot topic. It, it, it just felt settled after Obergefell right, yeah. and people had kind of moved on. And sometimes we would debate like trans sports and stuff, but right. we very basically never debated anything actually about gay people. Um, with a few minor exceptions, like the cake baker example, which I right, right, always right. had a more libertarian position on anyway. Um, and so I I felt comfortable in a way that journalists or gay people from a decade or two decades before would never have felt comfortable working in conservative media. I will say, though, I'm independent now or I'm at, well, we have my own organization, right? I'm not in a, right. a right-leaning media institution anymore. Um, I wonder if I'd still feel the same way because I do think we've seen kind of a pendulum swing in the other direction. So I'm curious, that's that's what I've seen. How do you feel the conversation has shifted over the last couple of years on the right over these issues? Yeah, I mean, it's a definitely an interesting question. I wouldn't say that I've, you know, experienced much of that at Reason. Well, specifically because... The reason's, because, well, reason's always... Right, and it's like, people, people place us on the right, but like, I actually wouldn't even agree with that. I feel like that's just kind of like when people think in this like binary way you have to put us somewhere but i mean i i think about it more in the terms of like that quadrant it's always like where where do you i think that's a more accurate way to classify people politically but i do think i mean i see what you're saying like with like the ronda like ronda santos was is is slash was it's i mean leaning really hard into the um he had that campaign campaign video that was painting donald trump as like horrifyingly pro-gay but i will actually Right. But I will say, and so I see what you're, where you're coming from. And I think that kind of, it's another form of hysteria and it's just as ridiculous, but I will say that it's not working. Like 
Ron DeSantis's presidential campaign has been a, has been embarrassing. You know, he was seen as like the golden boy of Florida, and then he tried to scale his culture war approach nationally, and everyone's like, no thanks. I mean, like he is having essentially getting no traction and catching up to Donald Trump in the polls. I mean, I don't think that necessarily says anything good either, <laughs> but I think that people are on the right are trying to lean really hard into the culture war as a platform. And it's not a platform because people care about how to feed their family. Uh, you know, they don't care as much about, you know, drag queen story hours. People on Twitter do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think there's some aspects of it. People do care about. I think I've encountered a lot of people who genuinely do care about women's fairness and women's sports. Oh, I think that's yeah. Sir. 1000% about, um, transitioning minors that's one that people do really well, and I care would also, about i agree with you and i i agree that that i don't even consider that as much part of the culture war though because it it is like a pressing policy issue that people are talking about and i will also say that while it seems controversial on twitter to say like maybe people born biologically male should it be up against you know biological females in soccer or swimming that does seem like a controversial thing to say on twitter i don't think it's controversial if you would like stop people on the street no it's you know what not i mean i think all. right i even think like your mainstream like normie democrat would be like oh yeah that's probably a little unfair you know they would um but these echo chambers they really do right. distort our view of these issues on the left one thousand percent because somebody like the hardcore right-wing culture warriors they know that the culture war works among a select base, the Daily Wire subscriber viewership. And I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with that, but they sometimes extrapolate that to the entire public or to like right. the right at large or everybody who votes Republican and cares about these issues, these exact issues and this, these exact feelings about it. And it's really not true. A lot of people are disengaged from those issues. Um, but I, yeah, I, it's an interesting place where things are going to go. And I, I increasingly feel like I'm in my own little island yelling into the void about these things uh and there's not a lot of people kind of charting a middle path because i just feel totally detached from the left alphabet alphabet people but i also really i find the way the right talks about trans people to be cruel at times um oh for sure i find the debate sure. over trans issues often devoid of nuance when i think some of the issues are very nuanced and a lot of them are new and we don't know that much about them but then i also right. i find that the debate stifled because people on the left will try to they try to cancel jk rowling who has pretty right milk toast centrist views on those questions if you actually right. look at what she's actually said so i um honestly avoided launching this show for a while because i didn't want i, I used to early in my career write and talk about lgbt issues then I stopped and really focused on other things for years. And then I kind of relaunched the show about six months ago and it's been doing very well. So I'm sticking with it um, because people want to hear about these topics. But I felt like I almost didn't want to even get back into them because they're so toxic. They are so toxic. There's something unique about the culture war that brings out everyone's worst qualities. It seems, I guess it's because we all partake in the culture and any like, a lot of culture war critiques do kind of get at like the sometimes like the heart of who a person is. Um, so yeah, kudos to you because it's like you said, I do wait uh, in occasionally, but not nearly as much as you. <laughs> no, uh, and especially on on platforms like you YouTube and in, in print journalism, it's a little more niche the LGBT discussion. 
Uh, right. But uh, in video and multimedia, it really is a dominant issue. And it is something that yeah. people constantly reward with their clicks. So you kind of, if you're competing in this marketplace for people's attention, right. you kind of have to go where it is. But there's just um, very few middle voices. It's like you either have like hard right voices, you got the Matt Walshes of the world, or you've got the they them who thinks biological sex right. is a construct. And I'm like, right. where is the voice representing the normal people in the world? And so in in the gay community, in many everyday people who just are cool with gay rights, but aren't like kind of nuts on these issues. I don't think it's, I don't think, uh, let, let me, I'll put it like this in a, in a question to you. Do you think things, the, the, con, the state of the discourse on LGBT issues is getting better or worse? Because I think you know my estimation of it, but I'm, 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 I'm curious for your, yours. I think it's absolutely getting worse. Yes. <laughs> it's absolutely getting worse. The trans, the trans parts, especially just like really fires people up. And like you and both you and I have both said, there are reasons very legitimate reasons to care about fairness in women's sports and like making sure that um, ch children are chemically castrated before they can make an informed decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is such a toxic conversation on both sides because like there is no, there is a resistance to any sort of nuance. And if you try to inject nuance, then you like either want to kill trans people or, you know, are a deviant Right. So, but are you, uh, I, I'm curious, do you sense any of the tension between the gay issues and the trans issues? So I, I, for example, when I encounter the more extreme faces of trans activism, I'll see things like genital preferences are transphobic, right? Where I'm sure. like, all right, so hold up, hold up, hold up. You're so you're basically telling me being gay is problematic now. Right. And then the, the question of transitioning minors, it's like, sometimes I have many friends I wasn't really like this, but I have many gay friends who were who were extremely effeminate or like to do girl things as kids. And now they're like, would I have been transitioned? Because I grew up to be right. just fine with my gender. So do you sense that tension between those things? Because they don't want to acknowledge it on the left, but I do think it's there. Oh, absolutely. Andrew Sullivan has, I know he's a controversial character, but he has written convincingly on this issue that essentially, you know, we're transifying what is probably a lot of young gay boys and girls or boys and girls that would grow up to be gay i think it's kind of a scary prospect i mean i kind of was one of those kids too to be honest i love dressing up in my sister's snow white costume and like you know wearing my mom's shoes <laughs> so like the signs were there i mean my parents would never have been on board for a transition <laughs> and i'm glad not because i also am comfortable in my sex and think i am male um i have never had a problem with that but I mean, I think you're already seeing it with some of the voices who, you know, come out and say, you know, I made this choice before I could really be informed enough to make it like biologically with, you know, where my brain development was. And to some extent, there's no going back. And that's really scary to think that you could make a decision at 13, 14 that forever alters the trajectory of your life. Yeah, I find it really hard that um, oftentimes they're making de lifelong decisions about fertility at such a young age, because for, um, I, I forget which, I think it's male to female. If they transition pre very early in puberty, they can never actually, um, they, they will lose their fertility if they go off, they go all the way through it and never go through their original puberty. If they go on puberty blockers, then do cross-sex hormones, 
um, they will never actually be able to have biological children. And I'm just like, I still am not a hundred percent sure in what I want to do with a family and children and in life. And it's like, imagine trying to make that choice at 12. I really can't. But yet if you even, right, I was at, right. If you even I was watching an interview question. with someone yeah. recently, or there's like a, uh, there's someone who was interviewing by being interviewed by a famous transgender commentator whose name I'm forgetting. Buck? Buck I Angel. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so Buck Angel was interviewing uh, someone who transitioned as a teen from male to female. And this person was saying the exact same. There's a lot of regret. And this person was saying the exact same thing that at 14, a doctor asked, like, well, do you want kids? And the answer was no at the time. But like, who at 14 knows if they want? I mean, you're still a child. <laughs> yeah. You can't picture having children. You know, like. I mean, it really is insane. When I was 14, I wanted, to, I wanted to be a musician. You know, like, dreams and goals change over the course of adolescence. They do. Uh, and that's why a lot of that is scary for me. But I also have compassion for people with gender dysphoria because it is a real thing. And it's not just absolutely a real thing. The boogeyman that people make it out to be. And then I also think some people get way too pressed about how other people live their life. Like, um <laughs> The yeah, I've started to see people on the right get mad when they see a picture of a dude in a dress or like, and not even a, not even a train like Harry Styles wearing a dress, right? Or they see a dude wearing makeup. I've had people. I'm wearing a little bit of makeup right now. I do it when I'm on camera, and I've had people get very mad that I'm wearing makeup. I'm like, all right, well, I have bright lights shining on my face, sweetie. Right. I don't want to look like right. trash. And so I worry we're getting back to a little bit of this pearl clutchy like. Right. I don't even know what the right word is, but like um, regressive attitude. Right. Because they they feel like they've gone so far amok with the crazy gender stuff that now we need to go back to these really rigid gender roles that never really made any sense. Right. And like people who get upset about that sort of thing, I've seen it too. Um, like the, the makeup thing, especially, it's like that's where my kind of like libertine, libertarian ethos comes into my personal life because I'm honestly just like, why do you care? What, like, that some, I mean, it just has no impact on you at all. So, yeah. Yeah, completely. 100% agree. <laughs> all right, Billy. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I will put a link to your writing in the comments. People can check out more of your work. But thanks so much uh, for coming on the podcast. And please do keep dipping your toe in on these issues because uh, we need, we need all the hands in the fight that we can get. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, it's time for everybody's favorite part of the podcast, where I react to unhinged LGBT TikToks. Up first, do extreme trans activists wish death on people who disagree with them? Yes, I do wish death on transphobic people because they wish death on me and have caused death to many, many, many of my brothers and sisters in the trans community. I want to stab all of you to death as many times as I can. I want to stab you in the throat and twist it like I'm carving a f***ing pumpkin. I want to shred you into tiny f***ing pieces. I want to tear your f***ing bones out from your goddamn body. I want to scoop your brains out with a f***ing spoon. I want to eat your f***ing flesh. Well, <laughs> they them seems lovely. <laughs> Seriously, can somebody tag the FBI in the comments to go make sure this person is okay and not going to hurt anybody? This is an extreme example, but unfortunately you do see a lot of trans activists who think it's okay to perpetuate violence against people who disagree with them. 
that's fundamentally flawed as a moral question, but it's also some of the most counterproductive politics I've ever encountered. You don't convince people by reaching out with a closed fist. You convince them by reaching out with an open hand. And if voices like this continue to dominate the discourse on the extreme corners of trans activism, you can expect people to become more resistant, not more accepting. Because scare tactics, intimidation, and threatening people don't exactly make them like you more. But other than that, you're doing great, sweetie. Up next, this one is a, a doozy. A reminder that unless someone tells you their gender, you literally have no way of telling. And yes, that includes your own children. I don't care how young they are. So this kind of thing is just so silly to me. I mean, we do have a way of telling because like 99.9% .9 of people, their birth sex, their biological sex, which we can almost always tell, is exactly how they identify and what gender they are. In no other situation where you had almost 100% correlation with something would people seriously argue it is wrong to assume something because of a correlation like that. And look, if you do encounter a person with gender dysphoria who identifies as a different gender, I do think you should be polite to them and either refer to them how they would like to be referred or at least try to avoid purposefully referring to them in ways that make them uncomfortable. But don't tell us that we have to stop engaging in perfectly normal and rational behavior in the name of tolerance just to account for extreme minority exceptions and examples. You're just going to confuse people and make them more hostile to your community. Up next, this trans woman is very upset that lesbians won't date her. Hi, if you are a cis lesbian or a lesbian who says that they won't date pre-op trans women, um, I need you to listen to this. So I was dating someone the last couple of weeks. It doesn't look like that's going to continue. Obviously, that sucks. One of the worst parts is I was just really excited to get to date another lesbian. I've been dating actively and going on plenty of dates for two and a half years since I came out. This is the first lesbian that has actually dated me. A vast majority of the people that are interested in me are bisexual or pansexual and do not have experience with women. I end up feeling like I am the halfway point between men and exploring women. When I swipe right on people who say that they're lesbians, I assume that they're probably not into me. Do you know how much that sucks? This is what the discourse causes in real life. Honey, it's not the discourse that is preventing lesbians from not wanting to date you. It's the fact that lesbians, by definition, aren't attracted to male genitalia or to biological males more generally. That's kind of inherent to the whole lesbian thing. And that's fine. That's the way they are. It's the way they are inherently oriented. And it's not something that you get to rewrite or rechange or decide is problematic in the name of your own movement. Of course, I want you to find somebody and be happy. And there are plenty of people out in the world who will want to date you exactly how you are as a trans woman. But yes, those people are going to tend to be bisexual because that makes the most sense. It's weird that you would be so hung up on dating a lesbian as opposed to a bisexual person anyway. I mean, why? And it's this kind of thing that makes people who are same-sex attracted, be they gay or lesbian, feel like extreme trans activism is a threat to our own rights and our own acceptance. It is okay to be only attracted to members of your own sex, which does not include trans members of that group. It doesn't make you problematic. It doesn't make you a bigot. It makes you gay or lesbian, and that is okay. 
Can we also just stop with this weird trend of trying to bully people into dating you? Like, it's not cute, and it's giving Me Too vibes. Alright guys, that's about as much LGBT TikTok as I can handle in one day without getting nauseous. And I don't really want to throw up my lunch on you. I don't think that'd be cute for my YouTube viewers to witness. Alright guys, thanks so much for joining us. Check out the links in the description to see more of Billy's work. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider dropping a like, subscribing to the community, or commenting and letting me know what you thought. And with that, I'll see you all in my next video.